Well, good morning. Is it a great morning or what? Feels like spring out there. From here on out, we're gonna have spring weather. Uh, I'm not a weatherman, so I'm just just thinking. You know, that's would be nice. Thank the Lord that He gives us what do we have. You know, and we survived through uh, some pretty uh, intense weather, didn't we? God is definitely always brings what we need, and so thank you, Lord. Uh, as we study Luke, we've been in Luke for a long time, haven't we? And we continue in Luke again uh, from week to week. And really we get to look at the teaching of Jesus straight out, directly. Of course, the teaching is, of Jesus is all throughout Scripture. But when you see Him in the Gospels and see how He teaches and trains, He trains His disciples in their following and because they are going to be leading very shortly in uh, as far as his ministry is concerned he's going to the cross and so he's concentrating now on instructing the disciples as he goes and preaches the gospel of the kingdom you also have the uh, the apostles and all the other followers the disciples and as he teaches the crowd he is also teaching them how how you present the gospel and the methods and and everything that is involved in preaching this uh, most supreme truth. It's of vital importance, isn't it, that they know what He is doing and how He does it. Of course, they don't really get it, even all the way up to the cross and even after the resurrection, they don't get it all. But when the Holy Spirit (coughs) comes into their lives and that way that it did in Acts. The, uh, the apostles then were able to present the Gospel in its fullest with power. and uh, so. But they were learning all that time as Christ showed them. Now we finished chapter 9 last week. So much in that chapter. One thing, it's a long chapter, but there was a lot in it. first part of that chapter is similar to the very first section of chapter 10. And you can say, this sounds like a repeat. Uh, and and we know that everything that God puts in here is meant for a reason. But at first sight, at first glance, you know, I knew this was coming, but it's like, okay, how do I do chapter 10, still keep it fresh, say what needs to be said, and knowing that wasn't too long ago that we did chapter 9 the first few verses. And so it's like, okay, what what do we do? Well, actually there are a lot of differences for starters. Uh, there in chapter 9 he sent out the 12 apostles two by two, right? Here he's teaching out or sending out to teach the 70 are now going to go out. Another thing is that these 70 um, as they go out they're going to go to cities uh, as before they went out to villages the countryside, the villages, the apostles this time it's to the cities and we'll get into that a little bit more But the 70 are sent out. These 70 are genuine disciples. They're true disciples. They're true followers. And because, you know, as we finished up chapter 9, matter of fact, throughout chapter 9, Jesus kept really hitting on the fact of what it is to be a true disciple. And we stress the cost of discipleship. Uh, Even last week's message was dealing with that the true cost of discipleship. And uh, he had said that earlier also. 
And so whenever he says that, he's really meaning for people to listen up. There were a lot of people who were following Christ that went maybe even town to town or maybe into a close area. And they liked what he had to say and they liked his miracles. But they just kind of went along, but there really wasn't a true commitment in their heart. They really weren't really wanting to deny themselves, to die to self, to take up the cross. Remember, Jesus has said all of these in chapter 9. And He says, I don't want you to be fooled. I want you to know how much it cost to be a follower of Me. And of course, He finished up chapter 9. You remember those three individuals where one says, I will follow you. And Jesus says, hey, I don't have a home to live in. Foxes have their holes, right? And... Um, Birds have their nest. Uh, another one says, follow me. And he says, you know, but wait, I have to bury my father. And Jesus says, go now. We're talking about an immediacy there. And of course we explained that. We won't go into that uh, again. But that was a rather difficult passage and some of the things they said. Another one says, I will follow you. And uh, then Jesus gives uh, a warning as this man said, but I have to first go back home and say, uh, my goodbyes to the family and such. But Jesus said no one after putting his hand to the plow. And looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now Jesus says some rather tough statements sometimes, doesn't He? He is uh, hitting it hard though and He's pressing it all the way to the point of deny yourself. You're going to follow Me and that's what it is about. Uh, be ready to give up everything to follow Me. You must know what you're getting into. I don't even have a home, he says. Right? I want you to know this. Oh, really? Mm, that sounds kind of tough. Oh, loop, Right? These guys are true disciples. These 70. And it gives a glimpse today in our section that we're at. We introduce ourselves to the 70. We don't even know who they are. We don't know them by name. We have no idea. One of these days we will, won't we? Who are those guys? Well, honestly, just look at Christians today and you'll get an idea of what they were like. Because they were very much like us. They were just... Uh, they were genuine followers. They abandoned everything and they became missionaries. Now, we're not missionaries in the official sense, but yes, we are missionaries because our mission is is to get the truth of the Gospel, the Word of God, to the lost, right? And also make them disciples. We read earlier in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And that's a key verse that goes right along with our section today. This group uh, is very important. This group of 70. They... Um, are sent out by Christ, they're appointed by Christ, we can see ourselves in this group. We realize that we don't have any qualifications. Well, did the apostles? No. Did these 70 not human qualifications? No. Actually, everybody is inadequate to do the things of the kingdom of God. But with the power of God living in us, we can do all that He gives us to do, right? So, in that way, we can see ourselves right along with these individuals. So as we go through this today, even though some of these things don't necessarily pertain 
um, to our uh, culture or our way of living today when, when it talks about uh, don't wear shoes and uh, carry no money belt. I don't know how many people wear money belts today. You know, right there where everybody can see. But well, they used to. They used to have those fanny packs. Remember those? You know, don't don't carry that. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of principles here that we have to to follow. The credit goes all to the Lord. He's the one that equips us to be able to do this. And we find out that what they're commissioned to do is what we are commissioned to do, and that's to proclaim the same message of Jesus Christ. And so we're no different than them in that sense. They are being set apart to be kingdom missionaries. Okay, let's grab our Bibles. Let's uh, let's enjoy this as we uh, turn to Luke 10 and we stand and honor a God's Word. And we'll read. Now, verse 1, After this, the Lord appointed seventy others and sent them in pairs ahead of Him to every city and place where Himself was going to come. And He was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes. Greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And heal those in it who are sick. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet and we wipe off and protest against you, yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades, The one who listens to you, listens to me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. Let's pray. Father, what a powerful passage. As your word always is powerful. Now we beseech you to help us understand this passage. To bring it into our lives. And realize the mission that we have. Help bring that to attention to us and realize you have given this for us. There are orders. And it's a privilege to be able to tell about the King. May your Holy Spirit empower us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, we are at uh, right at 10. 
Starting at verse 1, as we enter a new chapter. We'll just take it phrase by phrase here. Pretty lengthy section today, but they kind of went together, so here we are. And hey, we got plenty of time. We even ended a little bit early on the praise and worship part there, didn't we? Of course, this is all part of praise and worship, right? Now, after this, okay, start right there. It's talking about the things that we've already previously studied. Talking about things in chapter 9. That would be the cost of discipleship, true greatness. You remember the disciples were arguing over who was the greatest, right? They did that quite often. Uh, in chapter 9 was the great transfiguration of Christ as He like peeled back His flesh in a sense and showed His glory. The glory of the kingdom of God along with uh, Moses and Elijah. What a tremendous uh, teaching that he gave there of showing that the kingdom is coming to Peter, James, and John. The feeding of the 5,000 was found in that chapter also. Boy, that's some pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? And he sent out the 12. Real important. And so here we enter this chapter. And I want to tell you, as we look here, it says, Now after this, after these things in chapter 9, the Lord appointed 70 others, sent them in pairs. He appointed 70 others. Did you know Jesus was a believer in Reformed theology? (laughs) He was. As a matter of fact, Reformed theology is right here. It's a shame that even have to use the word Reformed, isn't it? Theology is the study of God, but of course it's known as back at the Reformation, and that's why it's known as Reformed theology. Going back to really the study of the Word of God, Jesus knew about the sovereignty of God, didn't He? That is Him. He is God. He was absolutely sovereign. And what He chooses, who He chooses, what He chooses to do, and who He chooses is all up to Him. It's Him that does this for this kingdom. The 70 were selected, were appointed, elected, if you like, by Him. Just like the 12 that He chose. He could have chosen others. Why didn't He? No, He wanted to use these particular individuals. He understood the doctrine of election. He understood the doctrine of predestination. Jesus does speak about those things. Of course, all throughout the Word of God, those things, Doctrines are precious. They're there. He understood that the names of those who were chosen by God were put into the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. This is great. And here He is in time and space and He's choosing 70 to go out and give the most precious truth that anybody could ever give. The Gospel, right? Did you know that he knew that every one of those that he chose, that God had, that the Father had given him, were going to be redeemed. The ones who are given to Christ, he loses none, and they are his forever. They are redeemed forever. He understood, I like this right here, that what he did is that he took a collection of people came from the Father, and the Father collected those. He collected a bride for His Son. 
And so these people are being drawn to his son. I uh, kind of forgot about the bride, right? Coming to the bridegroom. Being drawn. And those names were already in the book of life before this happened. I just I was reading along uh, MacArthur um, on this section. and He talked about that. And it's like amazing. Wow, this is before the foundation of the world and here is the bride that he's bringing in. And he's still doing it. You know, the bride is being put together, right? So, amazing. The Father had predetermined all of this. And you know what? At the same time, this has no negative impact on the grief that Christ has for the lost. The ones who don't know Him. The thing is, sometimes if we get so consumed with the doctrine of sovereignty and we so much should be believers in the sovereignty of God, but we think, okay, well, God's going to do it anyway. He doesn't need me. Then we are in error. Matter of fact, we are in sin. The moment that we don't have the compassion that Christ has as He went to the lost, and presented the truth to them, we want to have that same kind of compassion for the lost. Uh, And what can happen to people who believe in the sovereignty of God, like us, can become kind of just going along with it, but not being in pursuit of the lost. Because God's going to take care of it. Well, in His sovereign plan, He uses people, mankind, men and women and children, to call people to the kingdom. I'm amazed that He would use simple people, not many mighty, not many noble, as it says in Corinthians, right? And yet, that's His plan. (laughs) Incredible as it is. So you don't want to lose your evangelistic zeal. Okay, these 70, it says here, after the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of Him to every city and place where He Himself was going to come. Huh. Interesting. He's sending them out to places where He is going to go after they have been there. Do you get that? That's another difference what we have here is they go to the cities and and it says place uh, other places and that kind of thing. Um, kind of amazing. It's just like they are advanced scouts sent ahead of the king to tell people about Christ and his kingdom. The king is coming. He's going to be following up after we've been here. So they made it ready for them. They are the advance forward scout brigade. They go into the city and they announce the arrival of the coming king. Now, first glance, when you look at some of these things, he's you know he's uh, carrying no money belt, no bag, no shoes, greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. It's almost like in present day, uh, you copy. And you paste. You cut and paste. Copy and paste. It looks like a copy and paste here. From chapter 9 right into chapter 10 here. Because it's very similar. And you go, wow, you know, 
what do I do about this? Just kind of repeat the message that I did that week? I could have done that. But I'll tell you what, I don't think I would have gotten away with it with you guys. I can't do that. Matter of fact, I cannot do that because I know in every chapter and in every verse there are things there that we need to dig out. And it is exciting to dig out truths that we never saw before and didn't know that was there. And then all of a sudden we start digging and we see precious truths. We go, wow, that is significant. How did I miss that? Well, you'll be doing that the rest of your lives. (laughs) You'll keep learning more stuff. Um, But as we look at closer examination here, you have the 70, they're unnamed, they're going to cities. Jesus would come in after they had announced His coming. By the way, they're going to be going into some Gentile areas. Gentile areas. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. He's going to hit a lot of areas where He hasn't been yet. They're going to set it up for Him. Quite a thought, isn't it? By the way, the Gentiles, what kind of food did they eat? Mm, clean. <laughs> yeah. Well, he said in verse 7, I'm jumping ahead, stay in that house eating and drinking what they give you. <laughs> when they get put it, when a Gentile brings them on in to stay and they serve it up, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, I can't eat this. I'm a Jew. I can't, can't eat pork. Uh, well, you know, Jesus teaches later on, you know, how those old laws that they had, such as dietary, are going to kind of be deposited away. And so he says, here's, here's what it is. I'll take care of you. I'll give you the food that you need. There will be people that will take care. So Luke 9, 1 through 11, I'm not going to read it, but that's, we've been there before. It's very similar, but we're going to see other things here today. So they go to the cities. Uh, that's not to say that it's bad to go to, to, to little villages and out the countryside and going to like uh, old little tribes and, and such. It's okay. We go wherever. Wherever we go today is what it is. But this specific instruction is go to the cities. Uh, in the book of Acts, have you noticed, like for instance, when Paul went, where did he go? He would go to the cities. Those cities would have synagogues. He would start there, and of course, he would eventually get kicked out and then move on and preach to the Gentiles. And so that is a pattern all throughout. But he'd go to the cities because there's only so many places you can go. And so as he takes to the cities, then they live around there. They will get the other smaller towns around them. And so that is why we go to the cities. There's only so much time. Remember, it's, we're on the last few months of Jesus' ministry till He goes to Jerusalem and, and the cross, of course. That's really where He's heading. From here on out, that's where Jesus set His face like flint, right? To go to Jerusalem. So that's where He's heading. But there's a strategic emphasis. Any of you guys here fish? I'm sure it's fishermen, right? And when you go fishing... You go where there are a lot of fish. But in our sense, all we have to do is as we go, as we live, wherever it is, you look for people who are lost. So whether it be your neighborhood, be in your family, uh, somebody, you know, friends, or people that you just ran into, we get to look to see where they're at spiritually and then whenever the time 
is proper, the Lord will make way that we share the gospel with them. So he says here, um, to, to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them in verse 2, the harvest is plentiful. And we've heard statements like this before by Jesus. Uh, I think the seed possibly could have been planted to some people at that time when they went there. Or maybe it's just going to be the 70 bringing something fresh to them. But you remember John the Baptist? He was all around the area and up and down the Jordan River. And there could have been some people that heard him. There could have been some of the twelve apostles when they were sent out that heard of him. And so now uh, we get this, uh, that the seed is could be planted or it's going to be planted here. And here we are. Jesus is praying for laborers. We only have so much time. We need more than just me going because when Jesus was here in the body, He could go to one place at a time, couldn't He? Same way with the apostles. They could only be one place at a time. Of course, when they had spread out, there were 12 of them. And of course, that was six places they could be as they were in pairs. So here we have 70. Take pairs there. We have 35 at a time. Boy, they're making an impact. There's a lot of cities where they're going to. We're talking, you know, big populations. So that's what Jesus is doing. Boy, he has a plan, doesn't he? He this is how you do it. You know, he's not he's not showing well this is how the corporate world does it. No, this is how Jesus does it in, in the perfect way. Sometimes I think the corporate world could or probably has taken some of the principles that Jesus has used though and used business principles. But it's much bigger than that, isn't it? Now, this was a season of harvest. He's praying for laborers. He knows who the ones are that are out there. We just need people to go out and give it to them. Then I'll come. When you pray for God to move, I mean to move in a big way, you want God to do something. Sometimes the very first person that He moves is me. You. God, bring forth laborers. Well, let's start with you. You are the laborer. But Lord, I, I don't know what to say. Uh, there's, well, uh, uh, what did He do for you? First of all, start with what God did in saving you. and Think about that grace. Think about the place that you were in. But are we praying for missions? When I say that word, it sounds like a word just to be kind of tossed out. You know, you hear that, oh, missions, missions. You know, what is missions? Mission is just this right here. We have the gospel. Take it to the world. That's really what he's hitting on here. Um, Jesus prayed. Everything starts with prayer, doesn't it? No matter what you do, somebody wants you to make a a decision on something, you know, um, maybe a a job change or uh, you're moving to a different place or whatever. What are you going to do? Well, most of you are going to pray and then you're going to go to your friends and your church and say, hey, could you pray for me? I I just want to make sure that I'm in tune with the Lord, right? Prayer is what starts everything. You don't go into ministry without prayer. You know, I mean, the whole thing. Matter of fact, I would pray that all of us would be praying for each other and praying for this worship all week. Matter of fact, let's make a mandate. Sometime this week, 
and if it's maybe maybe even Saturday, but through the week, if you were to pray for this worship that you're at, that next week that it would be powerful, and that it would affect your life and other lives that are here, and that we'd be able to affect other people that are outside this body, right? But if you pray for that worship, I will tell you, God blesses. So, and I know that we know about that. Sometimes we forget about it. But can I go out and just say, will you guys make a commitment to pray for this worship service? That our singing, that our reading of the Word, that you know, confessing to the Lord and our prayers and the, the Word of God and uh, all the things that go into worship would be powerful. Led by the Holy Spirit. So, that's what he starts off with. And you remember in Matthew 6, uh, in verse 9, you have the Lord's Prayer there, 9 through 13. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. Everything about you, who you are, your personhood, all that you've done. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the next phrase? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You start with giving glory to God, don't you? Our Father who art in heaven, so much set apart from us. He's in heaven, we're on earth. He's a holy God. We are to be holy. Through the person of Christ and the power of the Spirit we can be. But the prayer is there for the glory of God. That's what it starts with. And then you get everything else that comes on down and the way that uh, we are supposed to live our lives. God is the sovereign Lord of the harvest. He says that He's the Lord of the harvest. Right? He's sovereign. This is what baffles me. He could go ahead and pick the ones that He wants and bring them right on into the kingdom and that's it. But no, He wants us to worship Him here on earth. We don't see Him, but we know He's here. And then He wants us to go out and wherever we go and what we do to, to live that life. And then you know we, we back up our statements by what we believe in and righteousness and we have that gospel. Right? We have the gospel to, to give. And it's for his glory. It's about his kingdom. And so he you know he limits himself by and I say that very loosely and I put that in quotes, but he limits himself in saying, Okay, it's up to you guys now. Now, granted, God is going to save who he's going to save, right? But he chooses to use us with people. Amazing plan. I mentioned that earlier, but I'm marveling by it. Do I pray for the harvest? I'll tell you honestly. I need to do that more often. Don't you guys... I know if you're Christians, you want to see more people come into the kingdom, don't you? Don't you want to see that? I mean, it's becoming less and less. The numbers are going down if you look at numbers. Churches are are losing big time. Big churches are getting smaller. Smaller churches are getting smaller. Pray that there would be a harvest. 
think that is the principle here that we can get out of this first point here dealing with, with prayer. Do I regularly pray for the Lord's work around the world? Sometimes we forget about that. I do. Do I ask Him to raise up and send out workers into the harvest? Do I do that? Do we have compassion for the lost? I mean, really. Do we really feel for them? So anyway, that's why Jesus says here, and He was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest. Pray to the Lord. He's the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. And it starts with us. We are the laborers. Wouldn't you like to see laborers all over Jeff City bringing people to Christ? Introducing people to Christ. So that is the idea of prayer. Let's go on to the second one. That's dealing with mission. It's verses 3-8. through He says, Go... Behold, whenever it says behold, check it out, listen. I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That's remarkable. How many times are we considered to be lambs? Now we're considered to be the bride. So many metaphors that help us understand who we are. Well, sheep is a favorite one. And we could go into the teaching of what sheep are, but at this point we'll refrain. I'll try to refrain from it. But why, you know, we could ask this, why didn't God send us out as wolves in the midst of lambs? And then we could come in there and we could show them that don't you want to be like this? We're powerful, right? The answer is that we're called to be as Christ was. Whenever he was on earth, he was considered to be what? John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. We are considered to be lambs. But he also is considered to be the shepherd. But as far as sacrifice was concerned, dying on the cross, he was the Lamb. He was the Passover Lamb, if we may. We're called to be lamb chops to a hungry world. And don't you feel like it sometimes? It feels like we're getting ate up. Eaten up. Any students here of English? Apologize on that one. <laughs> you know what? What bigger contrast is there when you deal with lambs and wolves. I mean, they're not alike at all. You have the gentleness of a lamb, the harmlessness. The other side is the wolf, which is savage. Can't get enough blood, not enough meat. What do wolves do to sheep when they get the, their chance? They eat them. On the other hand, those who hear the message of the kingdom and repent and believe, they are fed by the disciples. 
they and then they make them disciples, right? We want to feed these people. Oh yeah, they can eat you up. They're doing a big job of it in this world, aren't they? We keep hearing, we know in the past uh, couple of weeks, uh, like in the state of New York, as far as uh, abortion is, all the way up to the, what they call it, the fourth trimester. Not sure what that means. I think it means all the way up to the very point, uh, what are the saying? There's three trimesters, try right? But that means right at the point of, of birth. And so they're exposing themselves to really what they're really trying to get to. And you know where it leads to next, called infanticide. But the thing is, death is death. And whether it be one month or whether it be nine months, it's still murder. And we as Christians want to pray about that. We, you know, we don't want to be silent. Uh, at the same time, we want to be, uh, you know, shrewd. As serpents, but gentle as doves, harmless as doves. And boy, you know, we've got to be both ways, don't we, in that sense. But when we go out into this world, it's, it's a wolf world. And uh, we have to depend upon God for our protection, for our wisdom. Are we wolves or are we lambs, right? Uh, of course, if you're God's people... You are lambs. How do you treat God's people? Do you seek to feed them? Or do you try to gobble them up? <laughs> Another thing, there it's dealing with a faith in the provisions that God has given us. They were to travel light here, and I'm not going to spend time on each phrase here very much. Verse 4, carry no money, belt, no bag, no shoes, greet no one on the way. You know, some of these are instructions to them right then and there. Uh, Certain of these things, we wouldn't necessarily say that that's what we are to do today, but the principle is there, and it's really about provisions. They were to travel light. They were to learn to depend upon God. There's another time when, you know, they're told, you know, to do the other things, the opposite almost. But it's about distraction. It says whenever there's somebody uh, on the way, um, greet no one on the way. Go to where you're going. Do what you have set out to do. Now, if somebody's saying, tell me the way to Christ, I mean, nope, nope, can't do it, got to go this way. (laughs) No, he's not saying that. We use common sense here, right? But, you know, God is so faithful and and, and what he's saying is just depend upon me. You don't have to take all the extra stuff. Just take on the you know the, the clothes that you have that you're wearing and just be faithful. And they might say, well, what about eating? What are we going to eat? He's already told them here, you know. Whatever they give you, you eat. Uh, well, what about, uh, you know, what about sleep? He says, well, if they take you in, don't worry about it. I've got that covered. What I'm asking you here is to go empty-handed and it will prove to you that even though my physical body is not with you, I am with you, you will be taken care of. We'll make sure that everything that you do... By the way, our whole lives have really been that way. And they continue to be that way and will be that way till Christ comes back. Now sometimes it might be lean or it looks like it's getting mean and hey, I'm not so sure uh, that, you know... God, are you? You know, I'm here. He is there. 
He knows exactly he's doing this because he knows that it will grow us up in the faith and teach us dependence. And so we need to stay focused on what we are about. Hey, are we focused here today as we get the teaching? This is really the teaching of Christ. I didn't make any of this up. <laughs> you know, I do some studying to try to bring out those points that he's making here, make sure we don't miss these, but. And I always need help with that, believe me, but focused upon what He's saying. He is speaking to us as we read this off the page. He's speaking to us today, right now. God Almighty, if you are His, He's teaching us through this. Boy, can't be, you can't have a mistake whenever you go into what the Word is here, what it really means. So there, there's a uh, the aspect of we're not dabbling in, in the things of God. You know, it's like, I'm interested in that. Yeah, I go to church on Sunday and then that's it. You know, you put our hour or two hours in and then we just live our lives the way it is. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all and His righteousness and all these other things will be added. He'll take care of you. Just seek Him. Seek His kingdom. That is called focused, isn't it? Seek Christ. Seek Him. Seek His person. Um, Jesus was known as the friend of sinners. And He socialized with them. He went to their homes. But it wasn't to do the things that they did or the things that they said or the language that they used. He's a righteous God. And He demands us to be righteous and to use words that honor Him. To live the way that we are to do, representing Him. But whenever He went there, there was a purpose. It wasn't to be like them, but it was to deliver the kingdom message. And it's like, that is what we're about. Whenever we meet people, whether it's dealing with work, whether it's dealing with just running into a brand new person that you've never met, where is this person at spiritually? You might find out very quick, uh, this guy needs the Lord. <laughs> you, know, you can tell by the language, probably. Uh, maybe something else, or you know, they just say, Oh, you know, I don't believe in God at all. And you know right where they're at. Sometimes they may say, well, I'll go to church. Then you want to know, okay, they go to church. But does that mean they're a true disciple, right? So, you know, you, you learn. And sometimes it can take time. <clears throat> but whatever chance you get, you want to get into it. You don't want to get sucked into the world system and what they do. But how can I be a part of bringing that person to Christ if he be chosen. I don't know if he is or not. And as Spurgeon always said, you know, you, you can't peel back the shirt and see if there's an E on there or not. So you go to all people. The E standing for elect. If they're elect, say, oh, I could go to that guy. But that doesn't happen. And of course, we know that Spurgeon, his humor is very incredible and at the same time, right to the point. Jesus gets to the point, doesn't he? Very much to the point. And, you know, it's like there's a big goal that we have that people would follow Him. Hey, I'd like to see more laborers. I'd like to see all of us laboring in the field. Right? We need to pray. Then be willing to go ourselves. Look in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And Zach had read that earlier in our 
uh, worship. And this is called the Great Commission. I think every one of you are very familiar with this. Heard it many times. Sometimes we kind of forget about it. Verse 18, Jesus came up, spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. He is Lord, right? Go therefore, as you go, make disciples, learners, mathetas. means to learn. Make them learners. That's why we teach the Bible. That's why this church is all about the Word of God. It's not about felt needs. God will take care of that. It does, you know, I mean, we care for people, you know, we really do, but the felt needs, whether it be, you know, you know, family issues, whether it be money issues, or, you know, you go on and on and on. But what it comes down to is here's what we want. We want the people to be learners. Make disciples. How do you do it? Right here. You say, well, we do that, you know. That's what we do. That's all we do. We don't go to any other source. This is it. Now, we get other sources that can help us learn this, but nothing wrong in that. Make disciples of all nations everywhere, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, immersing them into God. Baptizing them, baptizo. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. As you guys go out, here's what I want you to do. You do the same thing that I did and the things I told you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That goes right along with what we just talked about, isn't it? Go back to our Luke 10. By the way... Uh, you'll be taken care of as he's saying here. Um, verse 7, stay in that, oh, uh, first say peace to this house. You're talking about peace, peace from God, ultimately. And, and if those people are bringing you in, they have an interest in what you are saying and who you are, what this is about. And you can say peace to them. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return back to you. If they don't want you there and they find out, hey, you're a really committed Christian, just get out of here, I don't want you. Then the peace is taken from them, goes right back to you. Stay in that house eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. And that's support. Now these guys would be considered professional in a way because they are, you know, they're not doing their regular day job. They're out there, boom, they're going. And the other disciples are going to receive them. Maybe they're going to be disciples. And they give of their the material needs for the, that the disciples that came in there. Um, ministering uh, people are worthy of material support. And that's, that's the idea. To receive you know, from them. Believers are to provide adequate support for the people who bring in the Word of God. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 through 14, and this is why the church has always taken up offerings as they do the, the Lord's business. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 7, this is during the uh, time of Paul who wrote this, who at any time serves at a soldier at his own expense. Who does that? A soldier doesn't do it at his own expense, does he? 
He's taking care of it. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? From, from God. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses. So he goes and shows this has always been this way. That the Lord takes care of His, I'll say, professional ministers as far as financial things and everything. Of course, we're all to be taking care of, of each other. But he says, you should not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is He? People are more important, right? Or is He speaking altogether for our sake? Yes. For our sake it was written because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing their crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we do not use this right. Paul really didn't take offerings for himself. But we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance in the gospel of Christ. So that is the the principle. And God is just saying those people that take you into their home, they will take care of you. They will give you a place to lodge while you're there. They will give you food to eat. And if they don't, and they kick you out, then kick off the dust go to the next place that will take you in that's the idea now that uh, that we've dealt with prayer and we've dealt with mission and the instructions for that mission have we not and we now go to number 3 found in verse 9 and 11 uh, matter of fact in verse 8 it said whatever city you enter and they receive you eat what is set before you there's 9 and heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Verse 9. Look at verse 11. Even the dust of your, um, uh, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. They will receive the message or they will what? Rejected. When they reject it, what it is, is that, well, at any rate, whether you know it or not, or want to believe it or not, the kingdom of God was near. And they move on. If their message was rejected, they were the, the disciples were still to proclaim as they left town, be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Wow. That is really serious, isn't it? By their lives, their, their, their lips, they proclaim the message of God, God's kingdom. They clearly do that. The kingdom had been come upon these people, whether they received it or whether they rejected it. The gospel that we have, I, I like Romans 5 8. This really says a lot about what we have with us and what happened. Verse 8 of Romans 5, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for the elect. Christ died for the ones who were chosen. He died for them. And that's how they get their sin taken away. That is what we proclaim. Christ died for sinners. 
We don't know if God is going to bring them into the kingdom. Maybe not now, but maybe later. Or we don't know whether it will ever be that way. All we have to do is just go out and tell them, here's the truth. Christ died for your sins. You are a sinner. You need Jesus Christ to have your sins forgiven and to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, turn to 2 Corinthians 5.21. A key, key verse. Love this verse so much. It's good to keep in mind at all times. He made Him who knew no sin, that's Christ, to be sin on our behalf. Our sin was put on Him so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's the great exchange. The righteousness of Christ was put on us. The sin that we had was put on Christ at the cross. That's part of the Gospel, isn't it? It's about sin. It's about what Christ did with it. And you are to trust. You are to repent. The message. The message. The kingdom of God. The day is still coming when Jesus will return. There will be that kingdom established. But right now, there is the now and the not yet. Right now, there is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven that we are in if we're our, we are Christians. We don't see that literally, but all of His people are in that kingdom, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is with you, right? And such. So that's what they are saying. But Christ was going to be coming literally there. Uh, Submit their lives to the King is really what it was about. And then you get um, the, the idea of peace. They were announcing peace. If they would trust into this message, they would have peace as they would submit to the King. No longer would they be at war with God. But if they're not at peace, what is going to happen? A terrible judgment. So anytime you offer the Kingdom... We know that there's going to be rejection, and so therefore there is judgment. They announced peace to these people, and as they entered in a home, and those people experienced that peace, the announcement of God's blessing. But if the people didn't receive it, there's a terrible warning of judgment to come. It's found in 10 through 15. We've read a few of those. Uh, statements, and so we we pick it up at verse 11. Even the dust of your city, which clings to your feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Now we get into our last part. These are the consequences when people reject what truth is. As a whole, most people in the world reject the Gospel. We know that. And when you give the Gospel, they may act like a wolf. But their hearts might change as you present that Gospel. And the power of God's Spirit might change them then then and there. And then again, how many times have you said it to people? And who knows, years later, they come to the Lord. You may know about it. You may not. But it's okay. We We just plant a seed. Throughout the sea. Throughout the sea. Cast it out. Everywhere. Some of it's going to go land on what? Rock? The path? 
bushes, thorns, right? Some of it's going to land on soil that is prepared to receive it that's been plowed. Remember that parable, right? The consequences of not receiving the kingdom is found here. This is rather incredible. He says in 13, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me, Christ says. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Rejects the Father, rejects God. So your message is being used by God to bring people to Christ and it's also used to judge them. coming of the kingdom does not depend upon us. We have the seed, but it all depends upon God, doesn't it? God is very sovereign. This is a judgment passage, and I fear that most churches would not touch this section with a 10-foot pole or 20-foot pole. They would not want to say this because this would make people uncomfortable who are not trusting in Christ. People might say, you know what? I choose not to believe it because that makes me feel better and I can do whatever I want. Whether they believe it or not doesn't change the matter that God will judge the rejection. Whether they believe it or not. It may make them feel comfortable at a time that they throw everything away even that they knew about Christianity and they find out, hey, I'm going over on the other side. This idea of the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. What's he saying there? Well, as they kick off the dust, the city now stands before God in judgment. When we say the city, we're talking about the individuals who live there, as well as that city, because uh, a lot of these cities were destructed, <laughs> destroyed. The city must answer for its actions, for its rejection. To reject God, His word, to reject His messenger, is a fearful thing, and He's got proof to show it. He, he's going to judge ultimately. He is a, a God of wrath. We've been talking about all sorts of different attributes of God. As we go through passages, you ever notice that? Look at the attributes of God. He's so gracious and merciful of sending His message. And then at the end though, He says, but those who do not receive this, look what has happened in the past. Was it though? It has been said if God, uh, if God doesn't judge the United States, He has to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah 
They're terrible, evil acts. Everybody's heard about Sodom and Gomorrah, whether they're believers or non-believers. You ever notice that? And he said, what was the sin of, of Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, they were idolatrous, but of course, what, what sticks out in your mind? Almost sexuality. And of course, we know that story about uh, Abram as he uh, went there for a lot. And, or, you know, I mean, actually, the angel came there, but that was uh, he was his, Abraham's nephew. And we can say, you know what? There was a judgment done there. People can make fun of it and say it never existed, but people know that there was something to that. Why is it still with us today after thousands of years? This thought of Sodom. You say it to anybody and they'll say Sodom. They'll start laughing probably. Oh, you don't believe that, do you? you believe it or not, you know, truth is truth. But we'll bring it up into this time, you know, or close to this time. And here he's using it to the disciples of him and the people around. Um, the opportunity was missed by these people. By the way, did you know later on the apostles, uh, like Paul, like in Acts 13, verse 51, after preaching the gospel, they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. They left where they were at and went on. But look at this. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They were more or less kicked out of town. Nobody wanted to receive that, but you know, there they go. They shook off the dust. Well, that actually happened. Chapter 18, verse 6. But when they resisted and blasphemed, He shook out His garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. There was to the Jews. Synagogue. He says, it's now on you. You're standing before a holy God. I did what I was supposed to do. I'm going. Wow. That's a judgment statement. Consequences of not heeding the preaching of the Gospel. The more of God's truth that you know, the more severe will be His punishment. There are degrees of punishment in hell. And it's interesting, he, he mentions Sodom here. He says, I say to you, it will be tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. It would be more tolerable. In so- Sodom is like the epitome of judgment, isn't it? And he says it would be more tolerable in Sodom than for that city where you're at if you do this. Uh, as they, if they reject your message. And then he says, and he doesn't stop at Sodom. Now he brings it up to present time to them. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Where are these places? Right around where Jesus has been throughout His whole ministry, right around the Sea of Galilee, in Galilee area, they had heard His message. They had seen the miracles. They had seen Him many times. They knew who He was. They knew the name of Jesus. He says, Woe to you, Chorus and Bethsaida, for the miracles had been performed. If the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Oh, this is something that we do have history. Look in the history books. 
do those history books exist? <laughs> they rewrite history if they do. Oh, folks, I'll tell you what. We, if you weren't here, if you hadn't heard the message that we did on the Tuesday night Bible study, you missed what we're talking about here. Uh, it's an incredible passage. Not that necessarily my teaching or presenting of it is, but it's incredible what God does. He takes Tyre and Sidon in the book of Zechariah, and that's what we study on Tuesday nights. Look at Zechariah chapter 9, and for you ones that were here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is an amazing prophecy. By the way, this gives us some of the best backup that we could ever have for proof that Scripture is true. Because what other book, what other culture, what other society can give a prediction, a prophecy, 200 years before it happens, in detail, and proven historically, then later we look at it, and to be down to the very accuracy. In Zechariah 9, this is about prophecy of judgment against the nations all around Israel. They're just right around Israel. And he mentions, first of all, Damascus and Hadrach. That's Syria. At, at uh, the time that Zechariah gives this, it's something around a little over 500 B.C. Guess what? He's telling Zechariah and the people, I'm going to judge all those people who have given you heartache. <laughs> Damascus was an enemy of Israel. He says, I'm going to take care of them. It says, um, for the eyes of men, especially all the tribes of Israel are toward the Lord. People know that God is using a person. And I'll tell you in a moment who that person is if you don't know right now. And Hamath also, which borders on it, there in Syria. There was a man by the name of Alexander the Great who went to Syria, conquered them, didn't stop there. You'll notice next where he went is to Tyre and Sidon. And if I had a map here, if you have them in your Bibles, that's what we had to keep turning to in our Bible study the other night. I didn't have any pictures. The Tyre and Sidon. So he went to them, destroyed them. For Tyre built herself a fortress and piled up silver like dust and gold like the mire of the streets. This is pre-written history. It's written like it's already happened. But it means this is going to happen. Tyre is like the greatest city in that area. A port city, a shipbuilding uh, area it was. It was known all over the world for its trade. It was like New York City. And he says, I'm going to bring it down. The, the, Babel, uh, the Assyrians had besieged them for a length of time. The Babylonians came along for 13 years and besieged them. They went out, moved out to an island just a half mile off the coast, and that was then Tyre. And as God says, and I don't have enough time, and we did it um, Tuesday night because I look at the clock here, but I will tell you that in Ezekiel, also in Isaiah 23 and Ezekiel 26, you'll see that that place was going to be where the uh, the city was laid bare. That was on the coast, and it God said that that was going to happen. That He was just going to blow that city away. The the Babylonians did major damage, and and so you have debris, rocks, just everything, all in that area. The people are now out on the island who are left living there half a mile off. And along comes Alexander the Great, 
who had been in Syria and who's been conquering. He's conquering the world. He's in his 20s. I think it's 23 years old or something like this. It's amazing. God used him. And historically, we can prove this. And you look at this and you go, wow. And you look at the details. I wish I could turn there, but Ezekiel... I'm going to eventually do it. <laughs> uh, but as I get excited about this, folks. Because I'm telling you, you can use this to show people that God said this was going to happen. And historically, we can look back and say, in history, that happened. He says, build herself a fortress put up 150 foot walls around that island in certain places. Piled up silver, at silver, gold, and all that. God brings Alexander the Great on down as he's conquering. He's a picture of the conqueror that is to come, the Messiah. And as he did that, he went out to head the island, so people go out and ask them of some things that could uh, he could use and, and, and they could help with. And they said, no way, get out of here. That made him mad. And he said, okay. And and he would usually give people a chance. But they didn't want to. And so he, with his armies, took the debris on that, where that city was at, stretched it out to that half mile over uh, seven months. It wasn't very long. They had a causeway or a way that built out, was built all the way out to that island so he could take his soldiers and then they could use all sorts of different kind of lifts and such to and and rocks are going over against those walls and all sorts of things as they batter it down they burn the city and they they take it nobody else could and they went around saying how great they were we're inconquerable nobody can mess with us that's tire in the island because god had said that that city would be laid waste it was laid waste by Alexander the Great finally to conquer it. Now it took all the way from the Assyrians and the Babylonians till Alexander the Great finishes it off. And so there you have Tyre and Sidon. Behold, the Lord will dispossess her and cast her wealth into the sea. And she will be consumed with fire. And then Ashkelon... Okay, you're talking about the, the Philistines now. Move on down the coast. Ashkelon will see it be afraid. Gaza too will rive in great pain. Also Ekron, for expectation, has been confounded. Moreover, the king will perish from Gaza. And Ashkelon will not be inhabited. This is where the Philistines had been at. God gets them conquered. This is the Gaza Strip. All of this happened. Alexander the Great did it. Nobody can argue with it. When was this foretold? 200 years before it happened. All the way on down. You can say, well, how do you know it's this one person? Look in verse 8. You know, he keeps doing it. He talks about the Philistines and such. Then in verse 8, But I will camp around my house because of an army, because of him who passes by and returns. Alexander the Great saw priests coming to him as he went to the city. And, of course, they had the mitre on there, and it's, you know, it's talking about a holy God, and sees them in their white priestly outfits. And for some reason, <laughs> Jerusalem is not destroyed. It's not that they even have to give up to Alexander the Great. He saw this, he was touched by it, and he went on down to Egypt and made a conquering uh, opportunity there that he took. Came back up, and, and it says here, because of him who passes by and then returns. He passed by Jerusalem. He's taking over the world, folks. 
there we have, and if you really want to get a treat, read read Ezekiel 26 and Isaiah 23, and you'll get details, details, details. This is written anywhere from 700 to 500 B.C., folks. You got it right there. Okay, my time is really done. With all that said, you can say, okay, what does this mean? Bethsaida, Chorazin, and he says, if the miracles that were done around you all that time, if those people in Tyre and Sidon would have had it, they would have repented long ago. Now this is a sovereign God. And it goes beyond our thinking, but we can. he's saying it in a way of saying, listen, if I would have given them the privilege, they would have repented. But you didn't. You didn't repent and you saw it all. Who's more responsible? I mean, who's going to be punished more? He just says it right here. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon. When you think of an evil city, you think of Sodom. When you think of another evil city and wicked that God had to destroy, it was Tyre, Sidon. And he says, and you, Capernaum. Oh my. That's his headquarters. That's where he did miracle after miracle constantly. And of course we know he, he healed Peter's uh, you know, mother-in-law and people came into that house and he was in the synagogue. He was all around. Everybody in town knew Jesus. Did you know what? Probably most of the people there didn't really receive the message. They received the healings. Some of the very same people that were healed from blindness or whatever and they still rejected the message. He's compassionate. What's going on? Capernaum. They well knew what he said. He says they'll go down to the depths. These cities that we've just given, Sodom and then Tyre and Sidon, they go to the bottom of the list. But he's saying to the Jewish people, you're lower than them. You had the opportunity here. The Jews considered themselves the very opposite of those kind of people. He says, when you all get to the judgment, it's going to be worse for you than it was for Sodom and Tyre and Sidon and other cities that were so evil and wicked. They knew all about those cities. Do you notice a a relationship there between light and liability? light and responsibility that that is given. And that's the way it even comes to Christians, that the light that we have been given, we get to preach the Word here two times a week. Do you know how much light that we're given to do that? I'm no laud for me at all. I'm just saying this is what God has given us to be able to do. do. Do you just kind of put it aside? Is it something that you take in and is it something that you want to put in to others? Is it your life? Is it you? Is Christ in you living in you? That is the idea. There's a degree of punishment in eternity. And do you know what? There will be people that have heard the Gospel all their lives, maybe starting out when they were kids, went to church, heard something about the Gospel, but some of them may not ever have committed to Christ really. 
maybe they said a prayer, signed a card, walked down the aisle, but their lives never committed to Christ. They've got other things to do. They're busy. They get, you know, they got the kids. They got the family. They got the work. They got this and that. And the thing is that Christ is there for an hour in their life. That is, that is who Jesus is speaking to. There are degrees of suffering hell, and the more you know about the gospel and you reject it, the severer will be the punishment. You say, "Well, the less I hear, the better off I'm going to be." What? What are you going to hell? <laughs> You know, either way you look at it, that's a losing situation. He says, if you reject, if they reject you, your gospel message, they reject me, they reject God. What are we saying in all of this? God has given a mission, and it is a privilege to be a part of it. God says that we are the laborers, and we are to teach and to train, and we are to tell people that they are to be reconciled to God. And that they have a severe judgment coming to them if they don't trust in the message of the kingdom. We want to plead with men, with people. We want to tell people that they can be reconciled and have peace with God. Do you guys believe that? That's what He has given to us. It's called the Great Commission. And so, we covered a pretty big section. took a little while with that, but next week we'll look at the 70 when they return and see what happened. Let's pray. Father, You are a great God. You are holy. You are majestic. Your Word is truth. And Lord, we desire to hear more of Your truth and to put it into our lives. You are important to us in every way. Lord, help us to be more committed. More committed to totally sold out to Christ. Because that's what Jesus really presented. As we go out of here today, may it not drop on the step as we walk out, but it really work in our lives. Thank You for this great opportunity, Lord, and it is a blessing to be amongst Your people. I don't deserve it. In Jesus' name, Amen.